Well, good morning. Let's try that again. It'll help me. Good morning. Okay, it's great to be with you guys, and uh, it's been a real joy for uh, Cindy and and Isaiah and myself to be back in the U.S. and to be able to spend actually a lot of time up in this area, up in Cross Lake, which is is uh, one of our homes. Um, I think I've discovered being home that one of the one of the questions that someone can ask me that just makes me freeze is, uh, where do you live? That's the question. Or they ask me for my address, I go, uh, which one? Because <laughs> we have an address here, we have an address in Iowa, we have an address in Malawi, which one do I give? I, I don't know. But uh, one of the joys has been to be able to spend some time here. We were at, at Providence a few months ago and had a chance to just greet you guys and give a little bit of a report and summary of what's been happening in Malawi and to share our thankfulness to you for all the prayers that you have uh, prayed it's for us as a family, but especially for our son Isaiah as he uh, battles cerebral malaria. And uh, what a miracle God has performed, and, and to be able to come and share with you and to testify to you about, about everything that God did to really, to bring him from death to life, because that's really what God did, um, to bring him from really the very cusp of death, and even on several occasions, I know that Cindy and I really thought that he hadn't, wasn't going to make it, and to see how God raised him up and to, to bring him to life, and we're just so thankful in fact, we, uh, in preparation for returning to Malawi, we've been getting some doctor's visits done, and recently, uh, uh, Cindy and Isaiah were over at uh, Cayuna, where we doctor to uh, get their physical, your, their yearly physicals done, so Isaiah had his yearly physical, and the result is a completely clean bill of health. Uh, nothing is wrong, no problems. They even did a blood test to test all of his uh, kidney numbers, because as you know, his kidney completely shut down. There was concern that he maybe could have some ramification from that down the line, but all the numbers that came back uh, from the kidney were completely perfect. And uh, so he's got a, got a clean bill of health, and he's doing great. And so thank you to all of you for your prayers. As Ken mentioned, we are returning uh, to Malawi. Uh, so uh, our travel, our travel date is actually February the 5th. Uh, we're going to fly to Johannesburg, spend a couple of days there, because when Isaiah was in the hospital, God just really provided a, a Christian community for us there, so we want to have the chance to stop and say hello to our friends, our new friends in Johannesburg and spend a couple of nights with them, and then from there we'll fly back to Malawi and, and resume our work. Uh, my ticket is a one-way ticket, so I'll probably be staying in Malawi for the next year. Uh, Cindy and Isaiah do have a round-trip ticket. They'll be coming back here to the U.S. probably the end of March. And a lot of that is because of just some schooling factors for Isaiah. And also, uh, we want to continue to provide uh, care and, and attention to our families, and especially Cindy's family, um, because of, as you may have heard, um, uh, both of our parents have passed away while we are on our homestay. So my father passed away in November, and uh, Cindy's uh, dad just passed away in, uh, in January. And uh, so it really was God's providence. It was just, uh, we just give thanks to God that we were here uh, for those things. It's been quite a year for us between... Uh, 
just all the activity in Malawi between uh, our trial with Isaiah and his illness, uh, and also being here to be able to have the privilege to walk with our fathers through their final days. And, uh, and so now uh, we're preparing to, to return. But God's presence has been with us all the way. Um, I can't imagine being in Malawi when some of these things would have happened if we'd have found out about our, our parents and had to return. So God knew, as he always does, amen? Uh, God knew uh, what we needed, that we needed to be here during this time. And, uh, but now we also know that it's time to, to return and to resume the work that we've been doing in Malawi. Uh, one small uh, little note that I did want to share is that the, the parent organization that we serve, uh, serve under, Ancient Path, has recently uh, had a change of address. And uh, so for that reason, uh, if you've had some issues with uh, donations getting through or donations being returned, that's the reason why. And you just need to see us, and we'll make sure to give you the, the current correct address where you can send uh, donations and support to our, to our work in, in Malawi. Um, the theme that I'm going to be speaking to you today is from, uh, taken from Psalm uh, 71, and we're going to be talking today about the missionary heart. And uh, so, if you, uh, I know you guys have your Bible, so if you would turn to me, with me to Psalm 71, and uh, follow along as I, as I read this psalm, and then we'll pray, and then we'll... Uh, to get into the message today. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number has past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. 
Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. May God bless this reading of his holy word. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this moment and this opportunity to share the word that you have given to me, your word. We thank you for this psalm, Psalm 71. We thank you for your promise of deliverance, your promise of protection, your promise of shelter, the promise of your presence, the promise that we can trust you in all circumstances of life. We thank you for the the joy of salvation, the joy of our new life in you, the joy of the gospel. We thank you for the great privilege of being able to share and proclaim the gospel with our words and with our life. We thank you, Lord God, that your word goes forth and it does not return void. We thank you, Lord God, that your glory is over the nations, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Father God, it's an ever-increasing kingdom. Lord God, we thank you for who you are, for your mighty power, and we give you all of our praise and all of our worship because you are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all of the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was um, meditating on Psalm 71, um, one of the things that I that God has just directed me to in this psalm is how prevalent the, the proclamation of, really, the confessions are of the psalmist, of his trust and dependence on God. And we see this from the very beginning to the very end. Even from the start, he says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge? Let me not put to, be put to shame. He's, you can imagine him crying out to God in the midst of trouble. We see a a writer here, the psalmist, he's clearly undergoing some trials and some anguish, opposition it looks like from from what the psalmist turns as, as wicked and unrighteous people. He sees himself in the position of of being someone that others are looking at and pointing to as someone who is troubled and forsaken. Uh, We see that in verse 7 where the psalmist says, I have been as a portent to many. An an example, that's what a portent is, it's it's an example, someone that others point to as an example of something, and here by the context of the psalm, we're seeing that he's viewing himself as an example of hardship, that that's what he's seeing, and that's why he says, I've been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and your glory all the day. We, we see the kind of the urging of his heart in verse 9 when he says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Um, verse 12, O oh God, be not far from me. O oh God, make haste to help me. 
Um, and we, so all through the psalm, we're seeing this urgency from, from the psalmist. And, and we can imagine even ourselves in this position at times in our life where we are we're looking at one thing in terms of our circumstances, but then we also know where our hope lies. We know our, our desperate need for God's intervention and, and for His help. And what I would like to propose to you today is that this is at the very heart of the missionary life. That all of us are really called to this life. There's nothing um, that's really quite unique about uh, being a missionary. I've, I've been a mission. I guess I'm a missionary now, but I didn't used to be uh, carry that label. I was a pastor for uh, 30 years. For 13 of those years here in Cross Lake, and I was on the other side of the equation. We'd have missionaries come to our church, and we got to to be in. Uh, uh, community with many, many missionaries and get to know them and their, and their lives and, and be involved with them. We went on many missionary trips ourselves. But the reality is this dichotomy between someone is a missionary or someone is a disciple or someone is a pastor or someone is really, um, it's really a non-starter when it comes to the Word of God. Because we are all, we are all to call, called to be those who give testimony to the glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the truth of God to his gospel. Uh, what, what, is, uh, what is a missionary? A missionary is, is one who goes forth. A missionary is one who proclaims the message of the gospel through their words, through their speech, through the word of God, and through their life. That's what a missionary is. And so because of that, we're all missionaries. Amen? All right? And uh, so the question is, though, what is the, what is the kind of a heart that gives us a, a, a passion to be of those who would spread the good news, who would share the gospel, who, have, who would have a burden for the lost, who would have a burden for the world. You know, the, the Bible very simply says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We are called to be imitators of God, amen? And therefore, the love that God has for the world is the love that we're to have for the world. And so if, how does that heart come to us? And so that's what I want to talk a little bit today. And there's, it's really a very simple message. It's mostly the messages that I preach anyway are very, very simple. But it really begins with this, this perspective. And so uh, uh, first of all, a missionary is someone that does something. So many of us are sitting in our lives waiting for something to happen to us. But the missionary is someone who's decided in their heart that they have to do something. For Cindy and I, and, and particularly for myself, when I first became aware of the, of the needs that were happening in Malawi, we went on a mission trip to Malawi, and God really broke my heart for the needs that were there. One of the sections of the Word of God that really came to my mind and to my heart was the Jesus um, parable of the Good Samaritan. And of course, as a pastor, I've, I've preached that message over and over throughout the years. But it really became a, a parable that became very real to me when I went to Malawi and when I came back. Because what I saw in Malawi were such deep needs and brokenness. And I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision what I was going to do with that, with what I had seen. And I very much felt that I was in the midst of that, of that parable of the prodigal, of the, not the prodigal son, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, where, where I was actually 
a person who had walked by and I'd seen this man who had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And for me, those were the needs and the, the brokenness that we had seen in Malawi. And I had to ask the question, what am I going to do? Am I going to pass by or am I going to stop and do something? And for me and for Cindy and I, we, we had to answer that question was, well, we have to do something. And, and so someone that has a missionary heart is someone that's determined in their heart that they're going to do something about what God puts in front of their eyes to see. And you know, every time we open up the Word of God, God is showing us something. He's putting something in front of our eyes, and we always have to ask, ask the question of ourselves, well, what am I going to do with what I've just seen? It's really the question of obedience, isn't it? Um, you know, the, it's, it's an old gospel song, an old hymn It says... Uh, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And it's a very simple song, but it's a very profound truth. One of the issues that we have in the body of Christ is that we have a, a, today is that we have a dearth of knowledge. We have a dearth of teaching, but we have a lack of obedience. And, and God is calling us not only to know the Word, but to live the Word. Not only to know the Gospel, but to live the gospel. Not only to rejoice in the salvation and the redemption of Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have in him, but to follow him. To do what Jesus does. To do the works that he's done. To live the life that he's lived. Um, in the way that he has is lived. This is the mark of the disciple. And there's so many ways that we can describe this, but a missionary heart begins with the commitment to do something, to take some action. Now, the question is, what should we do? Now, the temptation, and, and we see it all around us, it was, it's my, was my temptation for years and years, and it was, it's the temptation that we continually face, that I continually face, is... is the temptation is we want, to, we, we want to do something, and so we want to take some sort of action. So the most important thing is, is what we do. So it's the, the most important thing is that we take action. It doesn't matter what we do, just do something, right? That's what the Nike campaign said for, said for years, just do something. And we find this attitude in churches today even, um, that we have a world full of needy people, so we just need to get out there and do something. But that really isn't what I would propose is the first thing that we need to do to gain a, a missionary heart. Um, the first thing that we need to do to gain a missionary heart is to seek a heart of worship. Because it really begins with what God is doing in here, not what God is doing out there. God's doing something everywhere, amen? God is sovereign. God's glory is, is hovering over the face of the earth. God is doing things in so many different places in the world. We, we do have the temptation to think that, that God is focusing his attention on America. But what you find when you, and we might say, yes, Lord Jesus, we need you even more <laughs> here in America. But the reality is that wherever we go, God is already at work. And that's, that's really the, the attitude of humility that we, we all have to take wherever, wherever we go. But the most important thing for us in gaining a, a, the, the heart of a missionary 
is to realize that the most important thing is what God is doing in here in our heart. So the, the basic message today is that we need to do something for God, we need to do something for our homes, our families, and we need to do something for the kingdom. Now the thing that we need to do for God is to seek Him, to worship Him, to draw near to Him, to hunger and thirst for Him. And we see this throughout the Psalms. The last year I've just been living in the Psalms. Um, I read through the Psalms and then I go back and read through the I just keep cycling through. There's a couple of books that I've been doing that with Psalms and with Proverbs and with the, the Gospels and some of Paul's epistles as well. But the key element here is, is and you see this in the Psalms, the, the urgency for seeking and that, that desperate need for dependence on Him. That's the heart that God is looking for. Um, it's that devotion in which we we realize and embrace the truth that Christ abides in us moment by moment and day by day. It's the, it's the need for us to have the continuous development of a single-minded and single-hearted dependence on God's grace and His direct involvement in our lives. If I could testify to how this has played out in, in our lives, in my life, I think this is the one primary thing that God has been doing in me over the last two years. He has been continually revealing to me those things in my life that I've been clinging to or trusting in or finding comfort in other than Christ. And step by step, He's been taking me through a, a, a process of stripping, stripping down those things, bringing them to me in a, in a, in a, into a place, into a a realization and a, and a revelation where I'd be willing to let go of those things so that the only thing that remains is Christ. Now this has happened for us on a personal level, but it really became real for us when Isaiah became sick. And so many times during those days where, where Isaiah was sick, he was in the hospital in a long way, he was in the hospital of Johannesburg, but our world went from being like this to being like this. The world went from worrying about all kinds of variety of other things, good things, to just having one focus, our need for God to do something to save our son. We'd wake up every morning, we'd walk through the day, we'd go asleep at night, and we knew that God was our only hope. It's when, I believe, for me personally, God began to teach me about, about unceasing prayer. I'm still learning about unceasing prayer. It's, it's not that we had these great things that happened and now I'm at a completely different level. That's not the case at all. But the case is that as we were going through this journey with Isaiah, prayer became a way of life, became, uh, became what we ate and what we drank and the, what we breathed and because every moment you're praying. Sometimes you're praying out loud, you're praying to yourself, sometimes you're singing prayers, sometimes you're reading scriptures as prayers. But during that time, I would say almost all the time, Cindy and I were praying. And it wasn't because we decided, okay, now's the time for us to pray unceasingly. It's because we, we were placed into a position of knowing that God was our only hope. And, and it was against all odds because the cerebral malaria that Isaiah had was, 
a kind of malaria that people don't recover from. We just had very good friends of ours in Malawi who had lost their sister to cerebral malaria. She lived in Zambia, and she had died from cerebral malaria. She got sick, and two days later, she had passed away. The, the, day, the, the week that Isaiah came into the hospital in Johannesburg, there were two other patients that were flown in from, from Malawi with cerebral malaria, and Isaiah, uh, there were three of them, two others and Isaiah. Isaiah was the only one who survived. We didn't find out this until later, but, but none of the nurses or doctors thought that Isaiah was going to make it. There's a 90% fatality rate with cerebral malaria. Now, we didn't know these things out at the time. We just knew that he was really, really sick. And we knew that there were a couple of times, just horrendous times in Lalongwe when we just didn't think he was going to make it. There was one time I thought he hadn't made it. And in those times, he, God was our only hope. And, and at those times, I'll be real honest with you, don't worry about whether the theology is correct or not, you just pray. You just pray, and, it's, and it, sometimes it is falling on your face, but sometimes it's just you're, you're sitting beside the bed, or you're with a group of people, or you're talking to a doctor, and inside of you this prayer starts to raise up. And it's that sense of dependence on God. And what we saw in those moments, and we could recognize it as it was happening, was we saw God's faithfulness. We saw that as that world became very small and our, and our prayer life began, became the thing, it became survival, it became what we were clinging to, and we had others that God was assembling around us, what we began to see is, is God moving. And we began to see how directly he involved, involved he was. Now, you could look and say, well, well why didn't God just, just raise Isaiah up right away on that first day? And, and we learned very quickly not to ask the why question. We learned to ask the, the, we, we learned to ask the question, how? how? How are you going to be glorified? How are you going to be exalted through what's going on? Because the why question has no good answers. Because God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Things happen to us. It's just impossible for us to understand why they're happening. But we know that with God, nothing is wasted. He uses everything, he uses everything for his glory. And everything that we walk through with him serves to enrich, enrich us and deepen us in the grace of God. And uh, we saw that. But... It's just that sense of closeness and dependence that we experienced and we saw and we felt during those days. And it really wasn't the big things, it was the little things. Little things that happened every day that there was just absolutely no explanation for. Um, and, and God used that to do something in us, to remind us of of who he is and the way that he works and that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he is our shelter and our fortress and our deliverer, that he does cover us under the shadow of his wings, under the shadow of the Almighty, that, that this is who he is. And, and this, is, this is where the heart of, where the missionary heart begins 
and where it is sustained. It's not in the things that we do, it's in the relationship we have with the one that we serve. And that's the most important thing that I, I, I believe it's the most important thing that I am to be doing as a missionary, and I think it's the most important thing to do that we're to be doing to be used by God in the places that God has positioned us so that we can become his hands and feet. But we cannot become his hands and feet by doing our will, by using our strength. We become his hands and feet by drawing near to him and letting him do his work through us. Letting him put our hands where he wants our hands. Letting him take our feet where he wants to take our feet. Letting him be the one that directs what we're doing. Because in and of ourselves, we have, we have nothing sustainable or life-giving to share other than Christ. And so Christ has to be in us. He has to be filling us. He has to be enlivening us. He has to be deepening us so that as we interact with people, as God puts, us, puts, him, puts people in front of us, then it's, it's the love of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God that just naturally flows out of us to others. And uh, so it's, it's that our perspective needs to be of those that are going to seek him. As, as David says, to, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. To hunger and thirst for God. As Jesus him, himself said, when we think about all these different things that come at us every day, God knows that we have all of these things, but we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to trust that all these things will come after, come after us. Because what we, what we find is, and, and I guess what I'm finding is that daily God is teaching me and showing me how to let go of everything else and to cling only to him. As Paul says, it's not that I've attained all these things, but I keep pressing on. We're in this constant process of God molding us and teaching us how do we cling to him, how do we seek him, how do we strip our lives of those things that are not of him so that he can be our all in all. I'm so encouraged by these, these words from, um, from the apostle, from Paul, and they're in a couple of different places, but Philippians chapter 3 is, is one that just always speaks to my soul, but he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Um, also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, um, verses 1 and 2, is just an encouraging word for us to make seeking Christ in our daily life, our primary focus. He says um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keeping our eyes um, fixed on him. and letting that be our continual lifestyle. I know it's difficult. I know we have so many things coming at us, responsibilities and expectations and schedules and, and busyness and distractions and our own things going on in our emotional lives, but this is the one thing. Out, out of this thing, out of our intimacy with Christ flows everything else. And when we ignore our intimacy with Christ, when we ignore ignore being able to learn to practice the presence of God as as as, uh, some of our forebears would have encouraged us to do, we do so at our own peril. Because if it's not the presence of God working within us and working through us, then whose presence is it? And if it isn't God's love, if it isn't God's word, if it isn't, if it isn't um, the, the, the spirit of God, the, the power of God, the, if it isn't Christ in me, the hope of glory that's flowing out to, to others, it has no life. It has no ability to change or transform. And one of the things I think that Cindy and I have found over the last couple of years working in Malawi, you know, we went to Malawi and we really didn't have a plan, um, but God gave us a plan. Uh, We really didn't have a clear idea of the specific things we were doing. We just had a desire to make a difference. And uh, what we have found, now he's given us a vision, and the vision is of of raising up young men and young women with, with a heart for the kingdom of God with uh, the DNA of the kingdom that flows through them and in them, who can be the change agents for their own community. Our, our goal is raising up transformational leaders um, who are able to be able to bring the transformation of the gospel to their own communities, to their own families. Um, so that's the goal. But we didn't know that from the very beginning. And what we found over time is that in Malawi, the needs are so immense. When we start to look at things from kind of the big picture view of of all the things that we see together, it's just too overwhelming. As we say in Malawi, uh, Malawi is is, sometimes we say about Malawi to ourselves in a kidding way, Malawi is 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 a place where everything is broken and nothing makes sense. (laughs) We have those days. But when we look at the big picture, we get overwhelmed. But when we can just look at the one in front of us, we can do something for the one in front of us. And so that's why we've adopted a, a phrase that's just for us, it's stop for the one. There's two very important parts of this. It's not just stopping for the one that God puts in front of us because he puts people in front of us every day. In Malawi, he puts uh, beggars in front of us, widows in front of us, orphans in front of us, the broken in front of us, the lost and forgotten in front of us every day. But the focus is not upon that person that he's put in front of us first. The, per- the, 
To stop for the one means to stop for the one. To stop for Christ. To look to Him. To keep asking the question, Lord, what, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do? So that when, the people, when we have people that God has put in front of us, which He does every day, all day long, we have to ask, then we can ask the question, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to do? If we only stop for the people in front of us, but we don't stop for the, the one who, who loves us and made us and redeemed us, then it becomes about us. And it can never be about us. The missionary heart is never about the missionary. It's all about Christ and seeing his transformation and love transform those around us. Um, and so seek a heart of worship. The outflow of this is that we will, uh, we will do something then in our homes. And, and for all of us here today, the primary mission field that God has given to us is our homes. It's your wife and your husband, it's your children, it's your grandchildren, it's your extended family, but it's primarily your home, your husband, your wife, and your children. That's the mission field that God has given to you, uh, first and foremost. And it's in that mission field that we're to seek to live with a sanctified heart, a heart that's been changed and formed to be like Jesus. That is what the sanctified heart is. It's more and more, day by day, bit by bit, little by little, moment by moment, we're becoming more like Him. And so we're to live as a vessel set apart for God. And we do this, and I'm primarily without speaking words, but through your heart. St. Francis of Assisi said, and we um, shared this quote at Cindy's dad's funeral because it embodied who her, her father was. But St. Francis of Assisi said, proclaim the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. The most important thing is our homes is that we demonstrate the gospel. We speak it, that's true. We, must, we do need to teach our children, but we need to show our children. If we speak about the love of God, but we don't demonstrate the love of God, what sort of message is being communicated? A message of hypocrisy. That in our hearts, in our actions, in our example, we're to demonstrate the transformed life. We're to demonstrate to those nearest and dearest to us the grace of God through the grace of love. This comes to us in Psalm 71, verses 17 to 18, where the writer says, Even in my old age, in my gray years, Lord, don't take me until I have shared your gospel and your glory with the generations to come. And, and we do this primarily through our life and through servanthood. It involves serving, not leading. Giving, not taking. Being, not just doing. It involves abiding with Christ in our everyday living with those nearest and dearest to us. You know, those nearest and dearest to us, they hear our words all the time, but what's being demonstrated in the way that we live and the way that we treat them? Not making a show of things is not our perspective, but being with God in our homes by being in the Bible, in prayer, in conversation, in action, demonstrating love, humility, sacrifice, 
repentance, forgiveness, treasuring each other, valuing each other, cherishing those that God has given to us. These are the demonstrations of the gospel that we do every day in our home that communicates to those nearest to us, our wives, our husbands, our children, that truly God is real. That the gospel isn't just words, but it's a, it's a truth and a reality that can transform their lives. This also means that we're going to need to learn to pray without ceasing. It is important to have times of prayer, times of family worship, times of family prayer. But it's also equally as important to be praying continually at all other times. And there are times in our families where things will happen where it will, we'll realize it's the only thing that we can do is to fall on our knees and just pray before God. We're not just focused on praying outwardly and praying inwardly because we don't want to have a pharisaical perspective of praying on the outside but treating those around us in, in, a, in a poor and unchristlike way. But to be praying inwardly. You know, because prayer is about the transformation of our heart so that our heart becomes like God's heart. It's not about getting what we want when we pray. It's about God forming us to be like Him. That's, the, that's what prayer does in us. That's why we're called to pray, because God knows what we pray even before we say it. Amen? He's sovereign. He doesn't need us to tell Him what's in our heart for Him to know what's on our heart. It's not like we pray to God and, and the Father turns to Jesus and says, wow, did you know that? <laughs> I'd never heard that before. But what he wants is he wants to change us and transform our hearts to be like his heart. That's why we pray. That's why God calls us to pray for our enemies, for those who persecute us, so that our heart transforms from being a a heart offended and, and a heart that's angry and a heart that's full of hatred and offense, so it becomes a heart of love even for our enemies. Because Jesus said, didn't he? What credit is it to you if you love those who love you in return? The real test of our sanctification is will we love those who mistreat us? Will we love those who persecute us? And that comes through the life of prayer. So not praying just outwardly, but inwardly. Not pridefully, but humbly. Not out of duty, but earnestly and desperately. For we know that our lives and the lives of those nearest to us are, and dearest to us are depending on it. For they are dependent on God. The greatest thing that we can do for our children is to pray for them. The greatest thing you can do for your husband is to pray for him. The greatest thing we can do for our wives is to pray for our wives. And believe me, the devil is very skilled at getting us to stop praying. But we must resist. We must stand against him. And we must pray in spite of the way that we feel. And so we live the sanctified life, we live the, the Christ life in our homes. And we live it every moment of, the, of every day. And the fact that we're speaking good words isn't a testimony to the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed in our homes. It's how it's being lived. How 
people are feeling treated and honored and respected and, and cherished. This is one of the primary themes of our teaching in Malawi. Um, because we find that this is not happening. And, and to begin to speak to people, this is the one place it must happen. And then finally, we do something for the kingdom. And so we, we do something for God, which is we draw near to Him and we cultivate a heart of worship and intimacy in which Christ is abiding in us and we are abiding in Him. We do something for our homes, which is we live out the Christ life day by day, moment by moment, through sacrifice, through humility, through servanthood. This is how it gets lived out. And then we do something for the kingdom. And we seek a self-sacrificing heart. So as we have said already, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom his righteousness. We say that every time we say the Lord's Prayer. But he begins by stepping outside of our front door and risking something. I think that in the church today, a primary core value has become safety and comfort. But I'm here to tell you that there's nothing safe about the Christian life. The Christian life isn't a safe life, but it is a good life. It's a life of clinging to God. It's a life of, of risking, of emptying ourselves. It's, it's, it's a life in which Jesus calls us to die to self so that we may live to him. It's a life in which he calls us to deny yourself and take up your cross and to follow me. When the rich young man came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the laws. And the, and the man said, I obey all the laws. And this one thing you lack, Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come and follow me. Jesus says in another place, unless you renounce everything, you cannot be my disciple. It's, it's a life of surrender. That is not a life of safety. It's a life of letting go of all those things that we're clinging to and depending on for our security, aside from Christ, letting all of those things go so that the only one we have is Christ himself. It's living life without an earthly safety net, but with a heavenly safety net. Because we're depending not on the security of the world, but we're depending on the security of Christ. So we step outside the front door. As I was thinking about this, I was, uh, I was thinking, and I, I found this quote, and I'd like to give it to you. I, I was remembering that there was a, a quote from um, that venerable theologian, Bilbo Baggins. Um, and I think this is from The Lord of the Rings. But it's, uh, Bilbo was talking to Frodo, and he says, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your front door, he used to say. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. That is the life in the kingdom. Because we've decided by following Christ that we're going to go where he leads, we're going to do what he asks us to do, we're going to live as he asks us to live. Um, we see this in the example of the Apostle Paul and his writings where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Well, in Philippians chapter 1, we already read in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul says, I considered losing all of these things as, as rubbish, they don't matter, in compare, when it compares to knowing Christ. And considered, considered that it's worth losing everything if I gain Christ in the end. And so uh, that is a perspective we have. But it begins with doing something. It begins with getting outside of our front door, getting outside of our comfort zone, and see, so that we can see the world as God sees the world. And we do this by, by praying these three dangerous prayers. These are the three dangerous prayers that we teach through our, our ministry. And, the, the, and, and they are, Lord, let me see the world as you see the world. It means we have to get out of our comfortable surroundings and we need to actually put ourselves in a position to see the world. Let my heart be broken by what breaks yours. And let me be emptied of everything but love. These are dangerous prayers because they change us. Because they cause us to do something. And, and it's, as I testified to you before, this is what happened to Cindy and I. We went to Malawi and we saw the deep needs. We saw poverty like we had never seen it before. We saw brokenness like we had never seen before. And we continue to see those things. We saw deep needs and hurts and and anguish in people's hearts and in their lives, and it brought us to the place of, of weeping and anguish in our own souls. And we, and we can't unsee it. Once you see those things, you can't unsee them anymore, and then it gives you a call to do something. For everyone, that call is a bit different, but it, it begins with at least praying the prayer, Lord, let me see the world as you see the world. And it causes us to ask that question, how does God see the world? We know that he loves the world, right, from John 3.16. We know that he desires that all would be saved. We know that God, God's heart is for the downtrodden and the broken and the poor and the forgotten and the oppressed. We know that God is for those, and if God is for them, then we are called to be for them. So it all begins, this aspect of gaining a missionary heart begins with opening our hearts to the world by looking, going, and praying. And as we do so, we pray those three dangerous prayers, Lord, let me see the world the way you see the world, let my heart be broken by what breaks yours, empty me of everything but love. And so we look and we listen, but we especially listen to God. We stop for the one, God our Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to see as He sees, to see what He sees, to not look away and to pray those things back to God, always asking, God, what are you trying to show me and what are you asking me to do? When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we do so knowing that God always answers that prayer by working through his people, through you and through me. Remember in the Gospels when, when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, look and see how ready for harvest the fields are. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers, 
to go into the field. And at that very moment, then he turned and, and he selected those that he wanted to send out to proclaim the gospel. See, when we pray those prayers, God sends someone. Usually God is, God is then turning to us and say, well, will you go? So when we pray that prayer, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is wanting to answer that prayer through us, through you, in, in the ways that he will lead you and guide you. As I had mentioned before, the Christian life is not safe because it calls us to a life of sacrifice and obedience. Christ always calls us to die to ourselves, to lay down our all for the sake of following Him. This is a life of obedience, of continually giving up the things around us that bring us comfort so that we may find our comfort and joy only in Him. It's impossible to truly live the Christian life without sacrificing everything. This is what the call of discipleship really is. I was reading this week in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. You, you know the passage where Jesus is speaking of the final judgment. And he is speaking of the passage of the sheep and the goats. And, and he says to the, you know, the, the sheep, welcome, come into my presence. Um, you who are redeemed, you blessed ones. And because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. It's that, that passage. You can take some time to meditate that on that this week, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And, of course, they responded, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or naked or imprisoned? And he says, any time that you have done these things in, to the least of these things, you have done them unto me in the same way for those those who are, um, uh, those who are damned to eternal judgment, is he says uh, to them, um, "Go to your eternal reward." And he said, "But Lord, when, because he says I was naked and you did not clothe me, I was hungry and you did not feed me, I was in prison and you did not visit me." was thirsty and you did not give me something to drink and when did we see you in this state and he says whenever you did not do this under the least of these you did not do it to me now we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone amen but what's the outflow of that what does it look like when we're living by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone It looks like something. It looks like love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like humility. At times it looks like suffering. Paul told Timothy that all, all who follow Christ will endure persecution. But we do so all for the sake of Christ. And, and we do so with a perspective of the outgiving, the outflowing of the love of God. It's God's nature. John's, uh, the Apostle John said, God is love. 
And anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's, it's the outflow of his nature. God is a self-giving God, amen? Creation, when we look at the creation story in Genesis, we're seeing the pouring out of God's nature, his, the creative expression of his love in the six days of creation. That's what we see him doing. It just is flowing from his being. When God purposes before the beginning of all creation, before the beginning of time, from the very beginning, that he would redeem his people through the giving of his son, through his son's death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave. That's an expression, an outflowing of God's love. God is a self-giving God. And therefore, if we are truly born again, if the Spirit of God truly lives within us, if our lives have been truly uh, transformed and changed, and if the life of Christ is truly living in us, then that will be the heartbeat of our lives as well. To give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, to visit those who are in prison, to remember those who have been forgotten by everyone else. We live and work in a land of people who feel forgotten. And every time that they know that there are churches in America that are praying for them, it's a demonstration to the friends that we work with that God loves them. Every gift that you give, every prayer that you pray, every act of encouragement that you give to those who feel forgotten is an expression of the love of God and of the heart of God. And the reason that this is a sign this is a sign of our eternal life is because it's the expression of the love of God that flows out of us to others. So we're willing to sacrifice because Christ, through the new birth, has transformed our hearts and is teaching us perpetually the life of love and the life of self-giving. Christ has sacrificed all things for the sake of the gospel and for our redemption to save us. Amen? Therefore, we are called to sacrifice all things for the sake of the one who saved us. This is why our goal is to say, along with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Let me close with this uh, verse. It's the first verse, actually, as a new Christian that I learned to memorize. And I would say it's been the one verse that has really captured my heart and my life over all these many years since I first became a Christian in 1976. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. May our attitude as we close now be that of um, the prayer that I recently found by uh, St. Patrick. It's called uh, St. Patrick's Breastplate. But I think the words of this prayer are ones that we can pray. Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, 
Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger, I bind unto myself thy name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, by whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation, salvation is of Christ the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we're just human beings. We're just uh, flesh and blood. And, but we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we stand before you, we sit before you in just humble gratitude for all that you've done for us. And, and Lord God, you have transformed us, you have saved us, you are our life, you are our all, you are our hope, you are our glory, and we thank you for who you are and all that you have done and continue to do in our lives. Lord, we pray today that you would stir within us a missionary heart a heart to seek you, a heart to worship you, a heart to abide in you at all times in an increasing intimacy, and that you would, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to live the Christ life in our homes by humbling ourselves and serving our families and helping our families and praying for our families and and demonstrating forgiveness and grace and mercy and humility by demonstrating our passion for you, God, not just by the words we say, but by the way our hunger is seen in what we do. And God, would you stir within us a desire to pray that we might see the world as you see the world, that our hearts would be broken with what breaks your heart and that we would be emptied of everything but love, the love of Christ. Lord God, that's what we need. And Lord God, um, just a minute. And Lord God, we pray that you would, um, you would do such a work in us, that you would stir up such a courage in us, that you would stir up such a heart with us that we would be willing to step outside of our front door, to step outside of our comfort zones. Lord God, to stop for the one, you, and the ones you put in front of us. We ask and pray these things all in Jesus' name, amen.